this video is about some of the easy and simple things you can do as you get close to submission of a robotics conference paper that will make for a massive improvement in the quality and contribution of the paper and hence improve your chances of it getting accepted. You may have seen my more general tips video which was more of a general strategy video on how to write compelling robotics conference papers. This video is much more for when you are just about to submit and you want to look through your pretty much complete at least draft paper and work out some of the things you can do to significantly improve it close to submission deadline. The general principle for writing compelling robotics papers as pertains to the reviewer is to assume that your typical reviewer is somewhat inattentive, perhaps a little grumpy, perhaps a little tired, but fundamentally not nasty. While it is true that you will on occasion stumble across a reviewer who is just outright hostile or gunning for you, there's not much you can do at the paper writing stage to really hedge against this type of reviewer and so it's best not to worry about it and hope that you can solve these problems through the editorial process. Based on this general principle of the grumpy, somewhat inattentive reviewer, there's a bunch of easy things you can do to substantially improve the likelihood that your paper will be favourably received by that reviewer and hence accepted. I'm going to go through these tips in approximately the same order as you would encounter or apply them in a paper, so starting off with the introductory material, moving on through the approach and the results, and finally ending up at the conclusion or discussion section. I'll also talk about some general writing and presentation tips that can help throughout. At the start of your paper, you will likely or should likely be making a set of claims of what your key contributions are. This is your opportunity to set the narrative about what your most important and novel or valuable contributions are and you have control to some extent over setting the narrative. A typical reader or reviewer will, to some extent, follow the weighting or the emphasis that you put on the various contributions. So the first thing you need to make sure you do is have a very firm understanding about what your contributions are and what the primary or most important one is and what the secondary contributions are and to flag this very clearly in your presentation of the contributions in the early parts of the paper. In your list of contributions you will often make claims about the relative advantages of what you're proposing in this research compared to past research or past techniques. Often these claims will be around stuff that is better in some way and the key here which I mentioned in my other video as well is the more specific you can be the better. So if there is a claimed performance advantage to your technique, what is the specific type of performance where your technique is better than the previous state of the art? Is it faster? Is it more com computationally tractable? If it is more computationally tractable, is it in terms of its scalability or in terms of its absolute compute? Any claims should be as specific as possible, especially concerning things like performance. You should also contextualize these advantage claims to explain why the reader or the research community or the end users should actually care about this performance advantage. To basically hammer home that this is a relevant advantage that will have significant benefits in eventual applications in robotics or autonomous vehicles or drones or whatever the application area is. 
In the early parts of your paper, you may also have some motivating story or context that has driven the research. For example, in my area of research, we do a lot of biologically inspired research. When you're making these claims about motivation and context early on in the paper, it's important to only make the claims that are actually backed up by what you've done. So if you are talking about how your work is biologically inspired, but when it boils down to it, it's in essence just some simple basic algorithmic work that could just as easily have not had anything to do with biological inspiration. Your reviewers may accuse you of using biological inspiration as so-called window dressing and react in a not particularly favorable manner. So when you're motivating the context for the work, it's important to make sure that context is justified. The same would go for the application area. So you may be working on a new technique or methodology and you may motivate it in a topical field like, for example, autonomous vehicles. You need to make sure that autonomous vehicles, in this case, is actually the most suitable domain in which to apply this and that it's not actually more immediately useful in another domain, for example, in agricultural robotics or construction robotics or surgical robotics. So making sure your claims about the most relevant, most topical application domains are actually correct. When you move on to the results section of your paper, a typical paper will have some sort of experimental results where you report on some type of performance metric. It's important to make these performance comparisons or performance results as compelling as possible. One common mistake or weakness in a paper is where, for some reason, the researchers have invented entirely new data sets or benchmarks where there are a number of existing well-established benchmarks that they could have just as easily compared against. And it becomes extra suspicious when they're also re-implementing all of the state-of-the-art techniques to adopt them to this new domain or this new set of data sets when they could have just compared it to already published results on existing benchmarks. That doesn't mean you can't introduce new benchmarks or new data sets, but you need to make sure that there's a compelling reason if you've, if you've excluded old benchmarks, why you've done so. Otherwise, the reviewer may start asking some hard questions. When you're re-implementing other people's techniques and they perform very poorly, people are naturally gonna be skeptical as to whether you have implemented them properly or whether their poor performance is just the result of a bad or imperfect implementation or poor parameter values. If in doubt, err on the side of giving the competitors an unfair advantage. That means that if you still get substantial improvements relative to their systems, you can say that you've actually tilted the deck in favor of the competition in a legitimate way and your technique still has something to offer. That's a much stronger argument to make. When you are presenting your results, they are often multifaceted results. So you may have a set of results where you can trade off one particular metric, for example, precision, for another particular metric, for example, recall. One of the challenges you have when presenting results that have several metrics in them is you can typically always trade one metric off for the other. So you can have higher pre precision at the cost of poorer recall, or you can have higher recall at the cost of poorer precision. You need to make sure as much as possible that you have some results that make direct so-called apples to apples comparison feasible. 
So if you're comparing to an existing state-of-the-art system and neither of your precision or recall metric values line up, then all you can say is that your two systems are operating in different performance zones. If you instead parameterize the systems or work out the parameter values that lead to the systems having the same recall level and then your system has a much better value of precision, then you can make a much stronger argument because there's a much more direct comparison between the two methods. Another good principle of general paper writing is that the less explaining you have to do, the better. So for example, if you are using some very old techniques from 20 years ago as part of your comparison, if you have to explain that, then you're weakening your paper where you could have used a much more modern state-of-the-art approach or technique for the comparison. Even if you have a legitimate reason, it's going to potentially distract the reviewers. They may get fixated on the fact that you're using this old system and then get distracted from what the actual main selling points of your research are. So where it is possible to make sure that you're not introducing unnecessary distractions for the reviewer, please do so. In terms of the general writing throughout the paper, one of the key principles is very clear signposting. So making it very clear and apparent to the reader as they go through your paper what each part of the paper is about and why it is being presented. A classic example of this is the fact that your paper will have both novel components, so the novel uh, aspects of your particular approach, but for completeness sake it will also include presentation of standard not novel material or techniques which you include so the paper is fully self-contained. It's very important to make it clear in these sections that you're not claiming that these particular parts are novel. A reviewer who's not really paying attention may not get the overall context and may interpret you as claiming that this is new work when it's not new work, it's just work included so that the paper is self-contained. So the more you can explicitly signpost and indicate that you know that this is not novel, but you're presenting it so the reader doesn't have to go looking at references, the better. The clearer you can make the structure of the paper and the flow of the paper to readers, the better. One of the easiest ways to do this is for each of your major headings, so whether it's the introduction, the background, or the approach, to have a few sentences at the beginning that explain explicitly what all of the subheadings or sub-subheadings are in that particular section, what they're about, and why you're showing them to the reader, why the reader should care about them and read them. One of the key principles for making reviewers happy is to make sure that they don't have any unnecessary cognitive load. Uh, a typical example of unnecessary cognitive load is presenting lots and lots of text that requires the reader to cross-reference with other parts of the text constantly to flip back and forth between different pages or even to refer to other papers. Obviously at some point that is necessary, you can't put everything into this paper, some of it has to be cross-referenced, but the more you can make each individual section of the text self-contained, the better. This also applies at a sentence-by-sentence sentence level. So if you have sentences that require the reader to go back and infer the context from previous sentences in the paragraph, that's a no-no. Try and make your sentences as self-contained and independent as possible. Another no-no is using weighted or loaded words in an inappropriate context. So some typical examples of this would be saying words like optimal. So optimal has a number of different specific meanings depending on which particular research discipline uh, you are working in. 
And often, a lot of people, when they write the word optimal, all they really mean is that the system is performing well. And so, words like optimal, dynamic, proven, and perfect should be used sparingly and only when you really have a case for using them. The same goes for other descriptive words. So, if you're using the words well, or better, or good, you need to think about whether that word is really appropriate. Generally, they're not very, uh, what you'd call, rigorous technical descriptions. Uh, where possible, try and use a much more specific descriptive phrase. For example, that the performance improves by 30% rather than that there is a good improvement in performance. And then when you're specifying words like performance, be as specific as you can. So the recall performance improves by 30%. And be clear about whether that's a relative improvement or an absolute improvement of 30%. A good reviewer is not going to penalize you for having one or two typos or one or two spelling mistakes in your paper. But if your paper is riddled with grammatical errors, with spelling mistakes, with poorly written sentences, uh, to the point that it starts to interfere with the reviewer's ability to understand what you're talking about, that's really bad. This comes back to the principle of not putting any unnecessary extra cognitive load on the reviewer. Doesn't have to be perfect, doesn't have to be completely free of typos, but needs to be substantially well written in order that the writing does not get in the way of communicating the key concepts and value of the research. When you are describing or discussing the results, often done in the results section as the results are presented, try to avoid the temptation to just run a running narrative and commentary that is effectively just waffling on about the results. So if your text is reading something like, this sort of worked well, this other thing didn't work so well, this thing worked better than this, but this other thing didn't work as well as this other thing, this was interesting because of blah, but perhaps because of blah it wasn't so interesting. This sort of rambling dialogue is not particularly interesting and not particularly helpful. Try and keep your observations about the results as concise and as on target as possible and make sure that you don't deviate into sort of a rambling narrative or story about the results. In the final discussion section of your paper, it's quite typical to put some future work possibilities. One of the classic newbie errors here is to put very tiny pieces of incremental, easily done future work because they suggest to the reviewer the thought of, well, if this is so easy and so simple, why didn't they put this in the paper in the first place? Why are they highlighting this as a future piece of work? Uh, this tip also applies, incidentally, to when you discuss the future work in your PhD thesis document. You want to make sure that you're not putting in any really incremental, really tiny pieces of work, which suggests that they should have been done already in the first place. One of the final sanity checks you can do on your paper is to go through the entire paper on a paragraph by paragraph basis and check that every single paragraph has a one and only one theme or concept that it's trying to get across. If you find a paragraph where it starts off talking about one thing and then deviates to talking about another thing, or even worse, starts off saying one thing and then contradicts itself later in the paragraph, you may need to split these paragraphs up. The other thing you can do is go through on a sentence by sentence level and for every sentence in the paper, and there are a lot of them, you can ask yourself, does this sentence need to be here? 
What is its purpose? What information is it conveying? Has this information already been communicated or does this sentence need to stay here? The final tip comes back to this general principle of making the job of the reviewer or the job of a reader of your paper as easy as possible. Not putting any unnecessary complications or barriers in their way. You very often see reviewers or readers react badly to a paper or a manuscript because they get lost, because they don't understand what the author is trying to say. You very rarely get a reader or reviewer say, this paper was so patronizing in terms of explaining things so clearly that I got bored because I understood everything in the paper instantly. That would be a fantastic problem to have for your papers. It's unlikely to actually get you rejected uh, and is a great goal to aspire for. Happy paper writing.